Welcome to Hevray Connect. I'm Zach Garber, your host and a current Hevray member. In this podcast, you will get the opportunity to learn about the incredible Cabinet Young Leadership Program. We will explore the stories of fellow Cabinet members, alumni of the program, and educational series about the Jewish Federations. If you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and local Jewish Federation. Enjoy. Just to be We are a community that predates the concept, the construct of race by like 3,000 years, right? It is a social construct, and yet it is something that we can certainly can't ignore. Today, I'm very excited to have another episode of Hevray Connect. I have the honor and privilege of interviewing my fellow Hevray, Marissa Langer. Marissa is a fellow Hevray classmate of 2019. And she is the chair of Jedi, which is not related to Star Wars, as we learned in the last episode, but it is the Jewish Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion. So I'm so excited to have Marissa on to talk about what's going on with Jedi, as well as her experience in cabinet. Marissa, I think a great starting point would be just to learn a little bit about yourself, your background, and what brought you to cabinet. Yes. Uh, thanks for having me, Zach. Hi, Hevre. So my background, I grew up in New Jersey. I was living in New York City for uh, probably since college and recently moved down to Miami with my husband, my two kids, and my dog. So I, I went to Jewish day school. I grew up, my parents, my family were a Federation family. So I guess my induction into cabinet um, and Federation at large was somewhat of an inevitability. My mom is an alumnus. I don't forget, I forget which year I don't want to age her <laughs> appropriately, but, um, yeah, it was a bit of an inevitability. My background, I used to run a, I was the managing director for the North Latin American, uh, travel division for an international corporation. And then I started my own, uh, luxury travel company, which I then sold just before I had my daughter in 2018. I have Tourette syndrome, which is not interesting necessarily in and of itself, but apparently people with Tourette's have very high rates of multilingualism or higher rates of multilingualism. So I speak fairly fluently five languages and, um, you know, can get around somewhat with a couple more. And then again, what brought me to cabinet, just inevitability, family, uh, sort of brought in by blood, so to speak. And um, here I am today. Great. And maybe you could just share some of the involvement maybe in the community that you had outside of your family as a young leader, and then uh, what, what steps you took to join cabinet and, and why you chose to, to do that. You know, you mentioned that you have kids, you have a family. Uh, it's obviously a big time commitment, dollar, you know, money effort. Yeah. So I've gone on the JDC uh, mission to Cuba. I went on the JDC mission to Ethiopia. This is all prior to my involvement with cabinet. And I went down to New Orleans. I believe it was something called Tribe Fest. This is a long time ago to help rebuild a community center that was in the lower and uh, same same Bishop's Parish, I believe in the lower uh, um, lower ninth ward that was destroyed during Hurricane Katrina. And kind of tangentially, um, 
you know, sort of by osmosis, I was involved, you know, my mother would get involved in something and she was on a lot of boards. She was the chair of the GA one year uh, in DC, quite a few years back, I believe it was in 20, uh, 2015. And then I was also, I got involved with their, uh, the New York third generation Holocaust survivors initiative. I helped to sort of implement, uh, they were doing a a survivor series uh, where we'd have Holocaust survivors come and speak about their experiences. And it was all over Zoom. And what I realized quickly was that it was, people tend not to realize that the Holocaust, you know, obviously decimated European Jewry, but the effect that it had on Jews of the Middle East and North Africa and how intrinsically tied it was uh, to the experiences there. Um, And I really wanted to bring um, someone who had experienced, for example, the Farhud in Baghdad or Basra. For those who don't know, the Farhud was, in sort of layman's terms, the the Iraqis' Kristallnacht, which uh, precipitated the decline and basically decimation of Jewry in the Middle East and North Africa at large, sort of that and a, a bunch of other things sort of set off a, a domino effect. So uh, we had someone come and speak and, and, and it was really, that for me is something that I'm, I'm very passionate about. Um, so I try to get involved in some causes related to that. Yeah, people forget that or, you know, don't even realize that the Nazis actively cultivated surrogates in, in the region of the Middle East and North Africa. Uh, that there were concentration camps in Libya, that, that Jews were sent from, from North Africa to Bergen-Belsen. And, you know, among the fact that Jews, well, Nazis uh, received not only quarter, but welcome, welcome arms in Argentina and Brazil. Equally, they were received with open arms in Cairo, Damascus and Baghdad. Um, so that was something very important to me to bring to bring light to. You mentioned that you're a third generation survivor. Where is your family from? My father's family. So my father's father um, was from Hanover, Germany, and his mother was from Vienna, Austria. And she, right after the Anschluss, when Germany occupied Austria, um, her family really escaped. And there's a much longer story involved in that, but for you know. For, for brevity reasons, they escaped. And my grandfather's family kind of made it out to wherever they could. He had a sister who made it with her husband to South Africa. Another sister and his parents made it to the U.S. And then he, at the very last minute, was able to get out and, and save the family tour during Kristallnacht. Again, another long story for another time, but all the family members have been Barba Mitzvah. I had my Ufraf on it. It's been a really, it's very, very uh, special. It's a very rare Torah called the Rambam Torah. And so they were they were there. My grandfather went back as a spy for the OSS, which was the precursor to the CIA, uh, but died many years ago from ALS. Uh, my mom and so my father's first generation American. My mother is second generation American. Her parents were from, I believe, Romania, Poland, Russia. Great. And on this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about Jedi, uh, obviously, <laughs> as you being chair. Uh, and I think you alluded to some of your passion around Mizrahi, North African Jews. Can you just share a little bit for anyone who's not familiar? We have we have people who listen who are Hevere people who are just involved in the Federation and just other people listening to the podcast. Can you just share a little bit about what Jedi is, the mission, the goals, and what, what you're doing with it? Of course. So, Jedi's mission is to increase both understanding and 
acceptance and empathy around Jewish diversity as a whole. We've tended to look at Jews both within the community from outside the community, tend to view the Jewish community as um, sort of monolithic, white functioning, Ashkenazi, when that is not really in fact the case. And we're quite a diverse community. We come from all corners of the earth. We come in all shades. And we, as a community, are looking, of course, of course to, to become more accepting, become more understanding uh, of the breadth and depth of the community in, that we are a part of and how we can rethink perhaps what we knew the Jewish community to be. Um, see the beauty in that, and perhaps expand our understanding of 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 what of how we think of Judaism as a whole. What is what does it mean to be a Jew? And how does this look specifically with cabinet in terms of equity, diversity, and inclusion? What is it? What is it that we're trying to do in terms of specific goals? You know, tangible outcomes that we're trying to achieve right now. Yeah, of course. You 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 know you you want to begin to reflect the diversity of the Jewish community without resorting to tokenism. The fact of the matter is, cabinet is largely Ashkenazi. Some of this is because of immigration patterns. You know, it's this is the 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 American Jewish community is largely Ashkenazi, at least in the way that we visibly see it. There are obviously exceptions to this rule, but because, you know, coming from Europe, Eastern Europe, it was sort of the natural immigration pattern to some got to Israel, um, some got to Latin America, many to North America, uh, to, to, to the United States, Canada. And in terms of time and space, a large majority of, of uh, Mizrahim, Ethiopian Jews, Kaifeng Jews, uh, not really Kaifeng Jews, but Indian Jews and so forth made it to Israel. Now, if you think about, you know, again, time and space, the Americans around the time of sort of the greatest greatest immigration waves of Jews, Eastern Europe and so forth, really didn't want, they really wanted to put a curb on Jewish immigration. But at least Jews were, they were not considered white, but they were considered, I guess, more palatable white functioning. But again, they didn't think of it as that, but they allowed some in. They still kept many out. If you imagine that around, you know, 1920s, 30s, 40s, they barely wanted to let the Jews of Europe in. You can imagine that they were certainly not going to let the Jews of the Middle East and North Africa in, and Africa as well. So again, both time and space, they ended up, uh, Mizrahim and Ethiopians generally ended up, again, I'm speaking in generalities here, let's be very clear, but ended up in Israel, Ashkenazim largely ended up in the United States and in other areas, of course. And so we sort of see that reflected, right? So we, the makeup is, is especially for Jews who were expelled, exiled from many of their secondary places, you know, we started in the land of Israel, we kind of made our way by force to four corners of the earth. And then, you know, if you look at the histories of Jews and Ashkenazi Jews, Mizrahi Jews, of course, these, these names are all just the names of our diasporic experiences um, and then forced out of those places. And so the goal of Jedi is to really, again, rethink, we tend as Americans to project a very sort of American-centric view on the world. And 
the goal I as I understand it is to to have cabinet reflect more of the diversity of the Jewish community that goes hand in hand with understanding intellectual diversity as well people are coming from areas of the world where their experiences lend themselves to perspectives that are different from our own and we need to get comfortable as a community with those differences of both experience perspective so let, let's, you mentioned your love of linguists. You've talked about Mizrahi versus Ashkenazi a couple times. People also talk mm-hmm. about Sephardic Jews. Can you just share a little bit, maybe a definition of what Mizrahi, Sephardic uh, Jews are for people who aren't familiar? Of course. So again, it's just an expression of the diasporic experience. So at the core, we're all Jews, but Jews who ended up in the Middle East, North Africa, are generally referred to as Mizrahi, or really the ones who ended up in the Middle East are Mizrahi. Sephardi tends to describe Jews from Sfarad, so Jews from Spain, Portugal, the Iberian Peninsula, going perhaps a little bit into North Africa. They're not hard and fast rules, so there are particularly in Israel, there are people who call themselves Sephardim, others who call themselves Mizrahim, and they kind of muddle the terms together. But what they are is a differentiation of their diasporic experiences. So let's talk about what you hope to achieve as chair of Jedi. If you look out three, five years from now, what would be the difference in terms of how cabinet, the federation is functioning today versus what we will have achieved from some of the infrastructure that you're trying to build? We live in, and you no doubt know this, in very fraught political times. As everyone knows, Jedi means Jewish equity, diversity, and inclusion. So typical of traditional DEI spaces, diversity, equity, inclusion spaces. And I hope if you will indulge me, Zach, I can read a small section of a Dvar that I wrote for the recent Jedi meeting, because I feel like it lends itself quite well to, to this conversation. Consider the word chet, which we recite many times during Yom Kippur. If you look at the translation in the Siddur, it says sin. But chet doesn't mean sin, it means to miss the mark. Sin is a Christian concept, one that we see woven very clearly into the fabric of traditional DEI spaces. Also intrinsic to the curriculum of traditional DEI spaces is the idea that one, simply by virtue of their immutable characteristics of their birth, and are an oppressor or oppressed, not dissimilar from the Christian idea of original sin. This is entirely antithetical to the Jewish way of looking at the world. We don't sin, we instead miss the mark. Sin is born of evil. Missing the mark is born of the human condition. Repenting, repenting debases someone in shame, while tshuva leaves space for humanity to return from the Hebrew root lashuv to its higher self. So I think that that is really how we are trying to differentiate ourselves. We're trying to remember the J in the Jedi. The fact that traditional DEI spaces, which has largely, unfortunately, been exclusive to Jews because the non-Jewish world tends to view us as white, privileged community, which in some instances, yes, we've, we've had many benefits. And in other instances, we've absolutely not, you know, having to hide, being able to hide your Jewish identity is 
a privilege, but having to is not, right? Neither are neither feel good, neither allow your, you to show up fully as yourself into a space. And what we're trying to do is to provide people with, you know, Jews unfortunately had to create our own organizations, our own spaces, because the non-Jewish world wouldn't have us in them. And we're seeing a lot of that now. And instead of wallowing in sorrow, we are trying to create a space that is trying to make a difference, but in a way that is holistically Jewish that we can show up fully as ourselves. So again, part of that is the Jewish tradition of nuance, dissent, disagreement. This We have a rich tradition of that. And in traditional DEI spaces, it's really been, again, a very non-Jewish idea of dogma. You know, these are the set of things that you need to believe and ascribe to, or you cannot be a part of the space. And what I came to the Jedi team quite pessimistic, if I'll be honest. And after having a long conversation with Stacey Viva and Nate and Rabbi, Rabbi Isaiah, I really was heartened. And I think it takes a lot to sort of come to the space and push back. But this is a space where being a contrarian uh, seems to be, again, part of the Jewish DNA, DNA and seems to be quite welcomed. Um, I know I've been able to do that, which is not something even I thought I would just even as I was becoming Jedi chair. So we want to under the Jewish community. When you when you do census, for example, when you have a, a survey, for example, traditionally, these just don't, you know, the ones that are done outside the Jewish community really don't apply to us. You know, we really we are a community that predates the concept, the construct of race by like 3,000 years, right? It is a social construct. And yet it is something that we can certainly can't ignore, right? And it goes even deeper. We're talking, you know, we talk about a variety of things in a, in a way that is holistically Jewish. And I think that that is really important. You know, we, we have, if we talk about diversity, and I've said this before, we, we, we can't, diversity is not people who look different but think the same. For me, an incredibly important part about being this Jedi chair is trying as best I can to cultivate dissent in a in a healthy way. You know, we I'm I'm told constantly we want to have more. I'm in South Florida now. We'd love to have more Jews from from Latin America, from Brazil, from Cuba, Venezuela. They tend to be, again, this is a generalization, a more conservative leaning crowd. This is born of their experience. A lot of them are first generation Americans. You know, they moved there. Them, they were not born here. And the experiences that they had in other places have informed the way that they show up in their lives in the Jewish community. And I want to assure them that there, this is a space for them, that they can have these conversations and disagree and still be valued members of the community. And unfortunately, again, I, generalities, but they don't feel that way yet. And, and that's something that really bothers me. You know, there was, there was an article a few years ago, and I believe it was in, I forget which publication was, it was an American Jewish publication. And it called, in, called the Mizrahim in Israel, the MAGA of Israel. And it just infuriated me because it so misses the mark, that term het, right? It so misses the mark because when Mizrahi were coming and immigrating to Israel 
particularly around 1948, the people in charge were Ashkenazi Jews. I was talking about Ben Gurion, and they, the Mizrahim, were put in the Ma'abarot, in the development towns, on the periphery, away from the decisions, centers of decision making and power. They were called quote savages. They were considered less than, and they were sent to really the the worst areas to 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 till the soil into what it is today, the beautiful thing, the beautiful land that it is today. And without the Mizrahi Jews in Israel, we would not have it, we would not have the state of Israel as it is today. They were, if anyone has time, they should read uh, Spies of No Country by Matty Friedman. They were the spies that went and 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 allowed the nascent state of Israel to be reborn. Without them, it would not be there. And and they were really maligned for a very long time by the Labour Party, which was really the, the dominant party for many years, largely comprised of Ashkenazi Jews. It wasn't until a, a man named Menachem Begin came along with the Likud Party and looked at the, looked at the Mizrahi Jews and said, you are valuable. You are an important part of the fabric of this country and this community and would not be where we are today were it not for you. You cannot look at that and say, blanketly without any shred of nuance or understanding of of where and that is a very very basic description of it can it goes into the you know the jews are people who have suffered immense amounts of trauma epigenetic trauma situational trauma physical trauma over and over and so i get very passionate about this because you know i considered myself sort of very much of, of 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 sort of the liberal side of the aisle for my whole life, and I still do. But I also understand that my experiences have also allowed me security and the ability to have to, to think the way that I do. And I and I I've gotten to the point the last few years where I refuse to look at anyone and say your experiences are invalid. If somebody is willing to come to the table with respect, with nuance, and with the desire to just to have to have respectful discussion I will talk with most anyone and I that's how that's what I want for our, our community to really embrace and come back to so what would be some specific examples of you know bringing Jews together inclusively uh, to discuss the hot topics today anti-semitism even some of the political divisions that we see within our world and 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 so forth to bring together the community so that we can thrive as a whole it's a good question. I think Jedi is doing a good job. I think I'm going to shamelessly plug. Please come to the Jedi meeting. <laughs> well, I'll say, I'll be sending around um, some messages about uh, about the the, up, the upcoming uh, the upcoming dates. I think a lot of it is having humility, sitting back and and under, and thinking. You know, talking talking to the person. This to me is the most essential piece. We tend to sort of put people in groups. I talk a lot about Mizrahim, Ashkenazim. And again, I'm using generalities and I keep saying I'm using generalities because there are people, there are people within those groups, right? And, and every single one of those people has their own story and their own history and how they came to where they are intellectually. And it behooves us to stop looking at people as just someone part of a group 
but rather look at them as the individual. So what I hope to do going forward and what I'm working on also with Andre and Yossi, who are part of the inclusion team, are having two calls coming up. Again, shamelessly plug when it goes out, please join. Talking about individual history, people's individual history, hopefully we will have um, some members. The plan is to have some members from cabinet come on and tell their personal stories. And there's something about connecting with someone individually that it's very hard to look at them and say, well, that's invalid. That doesn't make sense. You know, it, you, you really can't look at someone who's, who's telling you who they are and say, well, that's wrong, you know? Um, and so my hope is that we have start to see more personal stories rather than just group think. So Marissa, one, one of the biggest issues right now that the Jewish world is obviously facing is anti-Semitism. And you alluded earlier in the podcast to Jews being their identity being told to them as white and privileged and this idea of what Jews are being identified from the outside. Part of the work, obviously, with Jedi is talking about what are shared experiences and trying to incorporate the global Jewry and what uh, who, who we represent and who we are. Can you share a little bit about what the work that Jedi is doing, trying to change the narrative of the Jewish experience, our homeland in Israel, and how this is interrelated with what we're facing right now in rising anti-Semitism in the U.S. and around the world? Yeah, so, you know, Jedi is still very much at its beginnings, um, which is amazing because there's so many directions it could be taken in. I bristle sometimes at the suggestion, and not from you, Zach, but just generally that we should be more inclusive because we it'll show the world that we're not just white functioning, Ashkenazi, privileged, whatever. Which to me really, again, you know, misses the mark. It's you begin relating how you project yourself onto the world based on how you want others to view you. I'd rather start more at the nexus at, at, at where we are. And because I don't want to use people as props, as sort of look, look, we're quite, we're very diverse, which we are, but then the buck kind of stops there. I saw somebody write something and I am blanking on exactly who it was, which said that Jewish history without Mizrahi history is like a library with, with half the books missing. It's so true. You know, we, we really have been robbed of the rich history, tragic history of, of Mizrahi Jews, Ethiopian Jews, um, Kaifeng Jews, B'nai Menashe Jews, Jews from all over, not because that was something that we actively did, but because we have not been exposed to it because we've been separated physically from, from them. And in both time and space, I mentioned earlier, you know, the different immigration patterns and where people ended up. And it's true when you don't interface, when you don't have regular contact with beautiful, beautiful breadth and depth of the people of the Jewish people, you're not going to learn those stories. We could have a whole discussion another time about the Jewish educational system and the ways that it should be implementing, uh, in for, you know, education, great or, uh, organization is Jimena, uh, J-I-M-E-N-A, which if you want somebody to come to your school, implement, um, uh, implement a Jewish day school, implement the, the curriculum in the Jewish day school that includes those, that uh, is a great resource. But 
again, you know, what's an, ama- an amazing story that I was invited by Tamar, fellow Hevre of ours, uh, with my husband and my daughter. I was pregnant at the time with my son down to Philadelphia for a weekend. Um, our, my daughter and her kids are, are really close friends, are friendly with one another, are very close friends with one another. And uh, she invited us to come down and spend the weekend with her, her and her husband, Yoav. Her parents live nearby. Tamar is, her mother is Yemena, Yemeni, Temani, and her, and her father is um, Ashkenazi. And we had a Sunday afternoon lunch. Her mother cooked the whole day. And it was a Yemenite lunch. And we also had Sigal, I believe her name is, she's the Shlicha for the Jewish agency. She's Ethiopian. And my husband said, now I've been very lucky. I, I was born and raised in and around New York City. My best friend is Persian. Her husband is Turkish. I have been able to go and experience celebrations and food, <laughs> the food <laughs> That is not typical Ashkenazi food. And, it, you know, so I somewhat took it for granted. My husband is a sweet Midwestern Jewish boy from the Chicago suburbs. By his own admission, had never met a non-Ashkenazi Jew before me. He probably did, just didn't realize it. And here he is sitting and he, I look over and he is in Nirvana. I mean, head back, eyes closed. And he says to this day, it was the most incredible, amazing, impactful meal, Jewish meal he has ever had. So why do I think it's important? And I said this in my talk and in, in the speech I gave at retreat this year. It is not enough to focus just on anti-Semitism. The world hates us. It just is what it is. The sky is blue. We have to combat that with love, with joy. The tragedy of these other communities, but the joy of the other communities as well. We have to have contact with them and learn about them and not just to combat anti-Semitism. This just this shouldn't just be so that we can fight those who want to destroy us. This should be from a place of infinite curiosity, infinite respect, wisdom. That is which is something that is so intrinsic to the Jewish community. I'll leave with an anecdote here. Because I just found this talking about Jewish strength and beauty and power and 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 that and, and and how that can provide the emotional wellspring that fortifies you in the fight against anti-Semitism. During the Holocaust, there was a village of Ethiopian Jews, Jews in Ethiopia. They reached out, and it's it's not terribly well documented because there's just not a lot of documentation to be a refuge for Jews from, I believe, Denmark to come and live with them in their village to, to help, to help them, to help save them from the ravages of the Holocaust of the Nazis and their rampage through Europe. That is amazing. That is a story. And it goes deeper than that. And there's a lot more information, but look it up because, you know, we, we hear about the Ethiopian community and how we, we went in and we saved them on one of the airlifts. You know, they walked across across the Sudan, the Kosoya Overlook. Many people died and how we brought them to Israel. But I love hearing that, that story because what it shows to me is that these are not people just in receipt of goodwill, but we're also dispensing of goodwill. 
that they used their strengths and their abilities wherever they could to try to save fellow Jews all the way in Europe. I would be happy, Zach, if you're interested to, when this goes out, perhaps send a few resources if people are interested in reading up more on a variety of the topics that we discussed. And, you know, the way for people to feel more included is to acknowledge their history. You know, we talked about the Holocaust and, you know, I can't imagine how it must feel for for Jews who were sort of the, you know, Hitler conspired with with um with the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, Hajimina Husseini. He the uh, Nazi Hitler youth, um, Fritz Groba, I believe he's the head of Nazi Hitler youth, uh, cons- worked with the Al Fatua which was the, basically the Nazi Hitler Youth Club of Iraq and invited them to the 1938 Nuremberg rally. Um, and, and you think about how that affected the Jewish community there, and yet they're not really thought about in reference to the Holocaust or any of the sort of secondary effects of that and how demoralizing and, 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 and dismissive that can feel. On... A lighter note. So on this podcast, we always want to ask Hevre, is there a specific experience or moment that you found really valuable or moving of the overall cabinet experience thus far? Yeah, I'm meeting my friends. Again, I've spoken a lot about people's individual experiences and, and hearing who people are and what they are and how they think and why they think and how they feel and um, and so it's true for me, you know, my, my favorite, my favorite thing so far has just been making friends. I've been invited to weddings, bar mitzvahs, shivas, bris, you know, all different, you know, in the short amount of time, think, you know, we haven't been together that long and we haven't because of COVID really gotten to see each other that often and family now. And so there's something incredibly special about my mom said when she was, she was in cabinet. She had made friends in cabinet decades ago that she still considers her closest friends. And, and through everything, that really remains true for me. Is there a specific Jewish tradition or custom that you have in your family that uh, you find uh, really valuable or important? Yes. So I made mention earlier of my grandfather's Torah. So it's called a Rambam Torah. It's extra tall, and every column starts with the same letter, which I don't know, how, you know, they don't use technology to write these things, and this one was written, like, over 100 years ago. So um, it came, it was in my my grandfather's family synagogue in Hanover, and on Kristallnacht, my grandfather ran in, and, and you can imagine the the melee and the, the, the terror in the streets of Hanover, how he got the the Torah out and through the alleyways of Hanover without being spotted or killed will forever be a mystery to me. Unfortunately, he died before I was born, so I wasn't able, never able to ask him. But he ended up shipping it in the false bottom of a dresser or a bed to the United States shortly before he made it out by the skin, of, literally by the skin of his teeth. And it was with my, it was in Brooklyn for a long time with my family. It was, it was, in New Jersey, and now it's with my fam, my my parents at Park Avenue Synagogue uh, in New York. It was part of one of the original exhibits at the Museum of Jewish Heritage downtown. And every member of my family, my cousins, my cousins' kids, 
my siblings have all had their bar mitzvah on it. My Ufruf, I was on it when my daughter was born uh, and we had her baby naming. It was on that Torah. That is something that rose like a phoenix from the ashes. I mean, it's, it's, it's an unbelievably special family heirloom that will continue to get passed down through the generations, God willing. For anyone who is not part of cabinet or is part of cabinet, what advice do you have them in terms of making the most of the experience? Be, bu- be bullish. When I became Jedi co-chair, it wasn't necessarily through the traditional route. I, I called uh, co-chairs and, and I was airing some grievances about how I felt I want a thing. I, I would like to see things. And of course, you know, cabinet is not made only in my vision, right? That's, um, I recognize that, but some things that I felt I'm very passionate about Mizrahi community and, and how I felt that it could be better represented in cabinet, which I knew was of interest, but perhaps people's like, they weren't sure how to approach it. And I was told, you know, I think you'd be a really great fit for Jedi chair. You know, and, and, and this is after I had spoken with Julie Platt and my mother and, you know, and there are a few times where I felt like, oh, maybe this is not the right fit for me. And I just, I really stuck with it. You know, we joke Federation is a, is, is a, is a beast. It's a big organization and it does incredible work. Um, but you know, like any organization, there comes to be some bureaucracy, um, but just stick with it and, um, and it'll, It'll bear fruit. So speaking of strong, passionate Jews, for anyone who's interested or wants to get more involved in some of the work that you're doing, what's the best way that they can engage with Jedi and bring uh, more of a lens to maybe some of this global jury lens of thinking and, and thought? Reach out to me. I'm, I will talk your ear off, <laughs> ear off about it. Um, reach out to Stacey Aviva, Nate Looney on the Jedi team, Rabbi Isaiah, uh, but Yossi, Andre, and I are are here. You know, we 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 love hearing people's opinions, and especially if they're different from our own, and um, and how we can do better, and what they would like to see. You know, tell me what you would like as Kathy, what we would like to see. I know what I want to see, um, but I'm not just here for myself or for Andre or Yossi. You know, we're here for to try to represent Cabinet in the best way that we that we see fit, that we can, we see fit, um, and just I'll. You know, I will, uh, Zach, when you send this out, I will send out the date, the upcoming dates for, for the next, the next upcoming Jedi meetings. Um, and please, please join. And if you're want to just sit in and listen, just listen, but please speak up. I can tell you from where I sit, I will respect you. I will respect your opinion. Stacey Aviva and Nate Looney, I cannot speak highly enough of them. They really they're really kind, compassionate souls. And, and at the risk of using a term that I really, really dislike, it is a safe space to have those conversations. Well, Marissa, we really appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, it's so important, the work that you're doing, sharing the Mizrahi, uh, Sephardi and other stories from the Jews beyond just what we've heard. So I hope everyone enjoyed this and found it helpful. Thanks again. Thank you for your time, Zach.
future is one.